You may not be aware that the World Darts Championships are taking place at the present time. And you probably aren't interested in knowing either. Neither am I, but I was struck by a report on the Darts Championships while travelling in the car recently on one of our long journeys either down south or back again. Apparently, in preparation for the World Darts Championship, one of the players is reported as practicing for 15 hours a day. I kind of thought to myself, what would it be like getting up at 7 in the morning with the three little arrows and standing on the hockey? I have watched this vision and throwing three darts into the wall and then walking across, picking them up, walking back again for 15 hours a day. What was even more tragic is they then went on to say that he lost his match. Kind of raises a question in my mind. Why would someone want to do that? I suppose it could be for the money, although the prize Many professional footballers earn more in a week than the prize that the competitors get. Maybe it's the glory. Maybe it's some kind of personal fulfilment. Whatever it is, I would suggest to you this morning, without any doubt, that this man in question is devoted to darts. However, before we write him off as a sad case, let's pause and ask ourselves a question this morning. What am I devoted to? What is the consuming passion of my life? What is it that I enjoy above all else? That thing which occupies my thoughts and all my available time. That which I long to gain or achieve. You see, you may smile this morning and say, darts, I'm not devoted to darts. But it may be golf or fishing. Or a home. Or a car. Or a career. Or a partner. Or a family. Or maybe you're devoted to nothing. As an increasing number of people are in our society. We may have achieved or failed to achieve that which we set our hearts on and having found it unfulfilling or out of reach have settled for apathy. Merely going through the motions of life and living. Devoted, in fact, to nothing. But this morning I want to ask you a question. Is there anyone here in Charlotte Chapel this morning who could put up their hand and say, I am devoted to prayer? If we claim to be Christians. Then our verse for this morning, our verse for the year, tells us, urges us, to be devoted to prayer. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in the town of Colossae, says, devote yourselves to prayer. The word translated devote, literally in the original means, to be strong towards something. So, is prayer your strong point? That which excites your passion? and occupies your thoughts and time. Are you, am I, devoted to prayer? And I guess 
Many, if not most of us, and I include myself to my sorrow, would have to say, no, we are not devoted to prayer. And if we are being honest about Charlotte Chapel, I would have to say in all honesty, and assuming a lot of responsibility, that as a church we are not devoted to prayer. You can prove this very simply. There are probably 900 of us here this morning. Last week we met for prayer for our missionaries and it was a good meeting. There are probably a tenth of that number committed to prayer. I know we pray for the tenth, but it is at least indicative of where our priorities lie. However, we may argue, okay, Pastor, we are not devoted to prayer. I am not devoted to prayer, but I really want to say I am devoted to Jesus Christ. If a man spends 15 hours a day throwing darts into a wall, I think you can confidently say he's devoted to darts. If a Christian fails to spend even 15 minutes a day in prayer, I think you can equally be confident in saying he or she is not devoted to Jesus Christ, no matter what we may claim. If a man claims to be devoted to his wife and never spends any time with her, I think you could claim that his devotion is spurious. It's an interesting and I think quite significant fact that the word that's used here in Colossians 4 verse 2, be devoted to prayer, to be strong towards prayer, is never used with Jesus or God as the object. It nowhere says be devoted to God, be devoted to Jesus in the New Testament. The word devoted is always used with the object which is an action or an activity. It's actually used in the Bible in an interesting connection in the book of Acts, in the early chapters of the book of Acts which describe how the early Christians lived and operated and about their community life. And what it says to us is that they, these early Christians, it describes what I would call the devotion of these early Christians. Now, let me give you some examples. They'll come on the screen. You can look them up if you like in the book of Acts as we go along. Very briefly, three occasions. While the followers of Jesus were waiting in the upper room for the promised Holy Spirit to come down upon them, as Jesus had promised, we read in Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The word translated there, the NIV translates the word in different ways, in different places, but the word joined constantly constantly committed themselves to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They spent their time praying. And after the Spirit had come upon them, on that amazing occasion on the day of Pentecost, we read this wonderful description of their life together in Acts 2, verse 42. And it says there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And later on, four verses later, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They devoted themselves to meeting together. So the word is used of activities in which the first Christians shared together, of teaching, of fellowship, and especially of prayer. Now, this does not mean that the early Christians were not devoted to Christ. Far from it. Rather, it means that their devotion to Christ was demonstrated by their devotion to those activities 
which enhanced and developed their relationship with Christ. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching because they wanted to know what Jesus said and desired of them and asked of them. They were devoted to fellowship in meeting together with fellow enthusiasts about Jesus Christ. And they were devoted to prayer in which they spoke to God the Father through Jesus his Son. You see, prayer is not some kind of optional extra for the enthusiast. It's not like aerobics or jogging which is designed to improve your health or make you feel good. No, prayer is an essential element of a relationship with God in which we communicate, or to use an older word, we commune with God. An old hymn puts it like this, prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. That kind of encapsulates it. James Montgomery wrote the hymn, prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. And it is because, therefore, prayer is so important that we are urged by the Apostle Paul, by the Word of God, to devote ourselves to prayer. And my hope and prayer this year is that we rise to this challenge as a church. You'll see from the verse card that we'll be focusing on people in prayer. But I hope it's not just going to be a whole series of sermons about prayer either for the congregation and particularly for the preacher. Most of us preachers can preach very good sermons on prayer. We're not so good at the practice of prayer. All of us need help. And we need to rise to the challenge. And our verse goes on this morning to focus on two reasons why prayer is so vital. Very simple verse. And you'll now know it from the children's chorus as you can tell me as you go around. Devote yourselves to prayer. D-E-V-O-T-E. Devote yourselves to prayer. Yeah. Okay. Why? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's a very simple message before we come to the Lord's table. The first of these reminds us of the vital link between prayer and protection. The importance of being watchful. The word translated watchful it's a lovely word it's the word from which we get the name Gregory if you're called Gregory it means you're a stay awake person maybe quite a few of us here have had it chosen for us never mind it means to remain alert to stay awake it's the word used of a sentry on duty at night outside the castle or the camp watching lest an enemy creeps past him or overpowers him And the word is used extensively in the New Testament to describe the need for spiritual alertness. You see, when you become a Christian, when you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've done that recently. Maybe 2002 was the year when you came to faith in Christ. If not, I pray that 2003 will be for you if you're not already a Christian. But I have to tell you, when that happened, or when it happens, wonderful things happen, but one of them that happens is this. War is declared on you. To use another New Testament expression, when you become a Christian, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness and Satan into the kingdom of light, the kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, when you become a Christian, you have an enemy. He's already at work in this congregation. Among some of us this morning because you're not remaining alert and watchful your mind is already wandering and you're thinking how long is it going to go on what time will I get 
back on to lunch. Or you think about something that happened last week or yesterday. It's one of the strategies of the enemy is to snatch away the seed of the Word of God. And I have to tell you, in all honesty, there will be no amnesty in this life. You will always be at war as a Christian. And therefore you always need to remain on guard, to be watchful. The Apostle Peter uses the word in his first letter. He says, using the picture of a prowling lion who is seeking to devour people. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if you knew that a roaring lion was wandering around the streets of Edinburgh, would you not be careful? You know, these sightings of big cats. I'd love to know. I wish they'd find one and prove it once and for all. But uh, the Word of God says that there is a roaring lion who's prowling around seeking to devour Christians. And if you really believed that, you'd stay awake and you'd be more prayerful. Those attacks often come through human agency. And rather than a full frontal attack, the enemy often works his way, particularly through churches. Amazing, isn't it? So in his final message that we looked at in our series in the book of Acts in the evenings a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, gives them his final words. He says, I know that even after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Now, here's our word again. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. In fact, that's largely the reason why this letter to the Colossians was written because heresy was creeping into the church which was diverting people from their devotion to Jesus Christ. So be on your guard. And in prayer, we maintain our relationship with God. We deepen our dependence on God. And I tell you this, if you neglect prayer, you will become a prey to Satan and his wiles. You will be spiritually vulnerable. Not just to attack, but from other things and relationships which will draw away your, div- your devotion which should be reserved for God alone. The Bible has a word for this. The word is idolatry. An idol is something which becomes the focus of our devotion instead of God. Something we come to love more than Him. You can think of this in human terms. Think of a young couple who were devoted to each other, or to use the common expression, in love with each other. They publicly demonstrate that devotion, that love, by committing themselves to marriage, and they get married. But let's suppose that the husband becomes preoccupied, not just with his legitimate work, but every spare moment he is devoted to a hobby, which takes up all his time. The result is that he and his wife spend very little time together. Now you don't need to be a marriage counselling expert to work out what's going to happen. They will be vulnerable to other relationships. And that is why the most common picture in the Bible, in the Old Testament among the prophets, to describe what happens when God's people wander away from him, the prophets warn them, watch out, you are guilty of spiritual adultery. And if you do not devote yourselves to prayer, you will become an idolater and or an adulterer. 
And if you are not devoted to God, if you are not demonstrating that by being devoted to prayer, then you will succumb to temptation. I say that without any doubt whatsoever. And at the very least, or most, that consuming passion and love for Jesus Christ will be diluted and diverted into other things. So I ask you, and particularly those like myself who have been Christians for several decades even, am I devoted to Jesus Christ? Do I still have the burning passion I had for Him and for His Word and for His people and for fellowship and for prayer and I can't wait to be here? Or have I become blase, indifferent? Has my devotion, the fire of my devotion to Christ, diminished? If you are not devoted to prayer, it is sure to happen if it has not already happened. So this is a wake-up call this morning to me and to you. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful because you are a soldier in a great conflict. But you're not only a soldier, the second part tells us something else. If you're a Christian, you're not only a soldier, you're also a singer. Because there is a second aspect of prayer. Not only prayer and protection, but secondly, prayer and praise. Notice what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The word thankful is, means what it sounds like. It means to be grateful. For something good, literally, which you have received. Many years ago, when we were starting out in pastoral ministry, uh, Nietzsche and I got a lovely letter one day in the post. Nietzsche will remember it. And uh, we opened it, and inside was a little letter, and it's from a couple in the church where we were serving. Then they said, we've had a wonderful surprise. One of our relatives uh, left a legacy, totally unexpected, and we thought we'd like you to share in it. Here are our tickets for an overseas holiday for two weeks, pocket money, insurance, and absolutely everything. We nearly fell over. The most wonderful surprise. What do you think we did? Did we say, well, I tell you, we were very grateful. We were overflowing with thankfulness. And such should be our attitude towards God. We should have, this is easy to remember, an attitude of gratitude. I spoke to that this week in an inspired moment. But I ask you, have you got an attitude of gratitude to God for His good gifts? And we express that gratitude to God in word. Because God has given us words to speak. We also express it in song. One of the great things recently, in my opinion anyway, not everybody shares this opinion, but in my opinion, one of the great things in our churches over this past generation has been a renewal of a sense of corporate praise and thanksgiving to God expressed in songs which address God directly. Where we join together as a congregation. We normally have exclusively we do that whenever we sing hymns of praise hallelujah sing to Jesus particularly in our evening services where we've got a bit more flexibility we have time to spend just being with God and praising Him and I, it worries me when people say I don't know why we bother with all those songs why do we sing all those songs why don't we just have a quick song and get with the sermon we could all go home a lot earlier well, what are we here for? we're to hear God's word but to respond to it in praise and thankfulness give thanks with a grateful heart an attitude of gratitude. You know, in my experience, I don't know if it's true for you, 
sometimes God is so good and gracious to me that I think he must have made a mistake. I think he sent this to the wrong address. Because God's grace is like that. God gives us things that we just don't deserve. And we think, well, I haven't earned this. No, you haven't. It's a gift of grace. In fact, the root of the word is the word for grace, charis. All God's gifts are undeserved. I tell you this, if God gave us the gifts we did deserve, we'd all be in trouble. If you, Lord, said the psalmist, should mock iniquity, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. But I also have to be honest and say this. There are also times when God sends gifts into my life when I also think he's made a mistake because I don't like what he sent me. So I ask you this morning, do you have an attitude of gratitude not only to God for his good gifts, but for all of his gifts? There are times when I think he's got the wrong address because I do not like the gift he has sent my way the disappointment the frustration the illness the limitation that person he has sent into my life into my home into my church and when that happens something interesting happens it's the same thing that happens when somebody else does something you don't like what do you do? you stop talking to them don't you? Or maybe when we do talk to God, my prayers do not include thanksgiving. Instead, they are prayers to God and I say to God, Lord, you've sent this gift to the wrong place. Please take it back. It is unwelcome. This week I got a letter of the man's address to the Reverend Graham Leach. who's a colleague in Edinburgh. The address was wrong. The name was wrong. So I put it back in the post box and I hope it's got it. But God never delivers mail to the wrong address. Whatever he sends is a gracious gift to be received with thanksgiving. As Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't misunderstand. I don't mean that we always see what God sends as good or understand why he sent it into our lives. But we either believe that God has made a mistake and we stop talking to him because we're upset with him or we believe that God is sovereign. And we then give thanks to him all So, how are you doing this year, 2003? Are your prayers full of thanksgiving to God? Or other things that you've got a problem? Issues that you find it hard to be thankful to God and you don't know what God's doing and you're actually, truth be told, you're pretty mad with it. verse this morning says devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful that's the challenge let me finish with one final thing as we come to the Lord's table in a moment 
if you had been, and I often wish I had, of course we all do, if you'd been around almost 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ walked on earth and you'd seen him face to face and been around him, what do you think would have impressed you most about him? As far as the crowds were concerned, the vast crowds that followed him, there were two impressive things about Jesus. His miracles and his teaching. The Gospel records tell us people, when they saw the miracles, they said, we have never seen anything like this before. And when they heard his teaching, they said, we've never heard anything like this before. But I believe if you spoke to the twelve disciples, those twelve men whom Jesus called to be with him, as the Americans put it, 24-7, three years, behind the public persona, at the end of the day when he was tired and weary, early in the morning, when people got on his back and when he was criticised and harassed and all the things that happened to you, for seeking to serve God. I think they would have mentioned something that was even more impressive about Jesus. And that was his intimate relationship with his father and the time he spent in prayer. If you don't believe me, go and read through Luke's Gospel and underline all the times it says about Jesus' prayer. In fact, it was this that prompted them on that one occasion to come to Jesus and say, when they'd seen him at prayer, early in the morning, late at night, they said, Lord, teach us pray and I want to say to you we have a role model I asked at the beginning is anyone here devoted to prayer there is one man who was totally devoted to prayer because he was totally committed to the relationship with his father Jesus was devoted to prayer he was always watchful and he was always thankful and because of that and only because of that was he able to face the cross and accept it as the Father's will. We don't have time to look in detail, but if you look in Matthew's account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, there is a very interesting parallel on our theme here. Jesus takes those three disciples closest to him, Peter, James and John, he says, come and pray with me, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Stay here, Jesus says to him, my soul is overwhelmed to death, to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. There's the word. There's our watchful word. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he looks around and goes back to the three disciples whom he's asked to stay with him to keep watchful. And what has happened? We know the story. They've fallen asleep. And he says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter and Peter. Watch and pray. There's the word again, and both of them together. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and said, my father, if it, notice the change now, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, then your will be done. And he came back to his disciples found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy so he left them and went away a third time and prayed 
And he came back and found them fast asleep again. And then he returned and said, You're still sleeping and resting. Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now the point is this. Our Lord won the victory on the cross. But the real battle was fought in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because the man who is God was devoted to prayer. Being watchful and ultimately thankful because he accepted the Father's will for us. The cup of rock so that we might enjoy the cup of blessing. And this morning we are invited at this table to share in the benefits of what he did. To receive the bread and wine with thanksgiving. And that's what we're going to do as we come around for those tables. Let's just pause for a moment before we do that.